be ready to move on to Romans 5 next week. Lord willing. Remember, as you're turning to Romans 4, what's happening here is Paul is talking about Abraham. And he's using the example of Abraham, specifically in chapters 12 and 15 and 17 of Genesis, to demonstrate that Abraham was the prime example, if you will, the prototype of how God justifies someone, that it isn't by works, but it is by faith. He's using the Old Testament, our Old Testament of the Bible anyway, in Genesis and the account of Abraham to demonstrate what he taught in chapter 3, verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. As an example, says Paul, Abraham, look at this. This is the way God has always justified people, apart from works of the law. And he's using this entire chapter to demonstrate that truth. But what is faith? What is it to believe in God in a saving way and therefore be justified? like Abraham was. I don't know if you've ever stopped to consider that or ask that question. What is faith? Do I have the kind of faith Abraham had? Because remember, the stakes are high. To be justified means you're forgiven of all your sins. You have all the righteousness that you need to get into heaven. And without that being justified, you're not right with God. You're still in this Romans 1 through 3 place of being under his wrath. So, It's a very important question. Really, in verses 13 through the end of the chapter, maybe more specifically 16 through the end of the chapter, which will be our passage this morning, Paul is dissecting, if you will, Abraham's faith to show us the components of it, show us the kind of faith that Abraham had that actually resulted now in God's declaring him righteous, therefore he being right with God. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to analyze Abraham's faith. Let's just begin reading verse 16 through the end of the chapter. I'll pause and pray as I usually do. We'll ask God's blessing on the passage and then we'll go ahead with the text. Romans 4 verse 16. Paul says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now let's just ask God's help in understanding this passage. Father, we come to you now and plead with you that your spirit would help us see what we need to see here and have an understanding of the nature of saving faith and to ensure that we have it. I'm asking now for your spirit to guide the listeners here that they would see things in the passage that they need to see and that you would guide me as the teaching preacher right now to be able to teach and to exhort from this passage in a way that I would not be able to do unless your spirit gifted me to do. So I'm depending on you by faith and we're all here depending on you by faith to bless us now with this passage and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Understand what's happening in these verses. Paul is using Abraham as the pattern, or maybe we could use the word prototype, of how God justifies someone. Look down at verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, that comes from Genesis 15, they were not written for his sake alone, notice this, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You know, an interesting factoid for you is that the book of Genesis was written by the Jews for the Jews entirely. It's in a completely and thoroughly Jewish book. But what's interesting is What Paul is making very clear here is that it wasn't written for Abraham alone or for them alone. It was written for us so that we could read back in that account of Abraham and say, look how God justifies someone. Look what God expects from them in order to become right with him. I'm going to respond the same way now, you see. That's the whole deal. The only difference ultimately between the faith of Abraham and God's promise and ours is that to Abraham, God promised to provide an offspring. And now as we look at it, we say God has provided that offspring that would be a blessing to all the nations. His name is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. We have a very specific now person of the Godhead in whom we trust in order to be saved, and that is God's provision of his son Jesus, you see. But that whole account of Abraham was written for us so that we could know how 
or why God justifies persons so that we can make sure we're justified, right? It was written for us. By the way, read your Bible that way. The whole Bible is for the whole people of God. I had an entire other message prepared for this morning up until Friday afternoon. And it was all about all the promises of God to the nation of Israel for all the people of God because we're all children of Abraham by faith. It's a very good message. Maybe I'll bring it to you sometime, but not this morning. But read your Bible that way. It's for you. Have you ever considered the fact that when God showed up to Abraham, or his name then was Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, he was just like us. Before Abraham was a Jew, he was a Gentile. He came from the land of Ur, which was a very a popular city of the time in Mesopotamia, in a very pagan city, like all of the cities would have been. Abram himself would have been a godless, idolatrous, Romans one sinner who was suppressing the truth about God and his own unrighteousness, walking according to the desires of his own sinful flesh, Worshipping false gods, refusing to glorify God, refusing to give thanks to God until the Lord shows up to him and calls him and blesses him and justifies him. Then things change for him. Do you know that's really the pattern for all of us, isn't it? Or was there anybody here who wasn't a Romans 1 sinner before you heard the call of the gospel to you. This is why Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, he says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And listen to this, just like with Abraham, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Same pattern for Abraham, same pattern for us. Abraham is really the prototype of how God saves someone. Everyone is the same. There are no extenuating circumstances in which people are justified or made right by God in any other way. This is it. Abraham and his faith here in Romans 4 is being set forth as the pattern for all of us so that we will do, as Paul says here in chapter 4, walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, you see. Walk in the footsteps now of the faith of our father Abraham. This is how God saves anyone whom God saves. So notice this about Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith was in the promise of God. Paul makes that very clear. And as a matter of fact, in verses 14 and on, he uses that word promise over and over again to describe the events of Genesis 15. That when God showed up to Abraham, he made a promise to him. Remember, we've looked at that in the past. Essentially, the promise is that he, through Sarah, would have a child. 
and that his descendants, as a matter of fact, I'm not just talking about a child whom they have, but his descendants from then on would be innumerable, like the stars in heaven. Because remember, he had him looking up to heaven. But it was all a promise. It came to Abraham in the form of a promise. As a matter of fact, just take, take the time. Let's look at Genesis 15 just for a second as a reminder here. Keep Romans 4 open, of course, but just look at Genesis 15. Very easy to find. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Listen, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. You can insert here in the form of a promise. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now pause right there for a second. God shows up to Abram and delivers that promise. And in that moment, when he was delivering the promise to Abram, what did God expect from Abraham? What, was, what conditions, if you will, were placed on Abraham? What was he told to do? What commands, what law, what, what was he to do, in other words, in response to this promise from God? And the answer is, he was to do nothing but believe. God saying, trust me, Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. So shall your offspring be. You will have a child. The only response to the promise of God was to believe. And friends, the gospel message of Jesus is not presented to us with a list of steps that you're to accomplish in order to receive from God the promises. The promises of forgiveness and justification, the promises of eternal life, the new birth, heaven, the new world to come, you name it, all of those that flow from the gospel do not come to us, friends, with, with a law attached to them. You see, what we have to be very careful to do with our Bibles is make this very clear distinction between law and gospel. We will love the law and we will obey things from the law and we will do what God requires and what pleases Him. 
But when it comes to the offer of the gospel and the promise of God in it, we don't talk about the law. Remember what Martin Luther so rightly reminded us of? We'll talk about that at the proper time. But when the offer of the gospel goes forward, the only thing God is looking for from us, the only response, is faith. That's what Abraham did. You see, look again at verses 23 and 24. Actually, verse 24. It was written for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, in the gospel, what you're given is a message about how everything has been done. And the promise of salvation is it issued out of it. And the only response is to believe. That's it. This is Paul's entire point. All we must do is believe. All we can do is believe. Abraham's faith was in the promise of God. I want to show you something back in Romans 1 just quickly as I didn't spend much time with this when we opened up this letter and began studying it. Paul says, Romans 1, verse 1, that he, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul says this, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, listen to this, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, I didn't spend much time with that phrase, obedience of faith. But it's a very interesting statement. And actually, it's quite debated on what he means by that. On the one hand, some people think, well, what he means by that is that true faith will result in obedience in your life. So he's he's bringing James 2 to bear into this, right? That true faith is... Alive and the person then obeys God and that makes sense to us because when you're a disciple of Christ, he says, go teach the nations now to obey me. And it may mean that, but I don't think so. In the gospel message itself, the offer of salvation is put out. How do you obey the gospel? You believe it. That's Paul's whole point in the first four chapters. How do you obey the gospel and be declared righteous? You believe it. You embrace the promise of God in the gospel to you and for you. That's how we obey it. Do you remember the account in Acts chapter 16 of the uh, Paul and Silas? They were in jail there and... Uh, God did this divine jailbreak and like sent a, an earthquake and it opened the doors and their chains fell off and the, the jailer was freaking out because if you were a Roman guard and you lost your prisoners, you were dead. They were going to kill you so he was going to take his own life. Paul says, don't do this. 
And this man, being afraid, said to them, in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do now to be saved? Tell me whatever it is, and I'll obey it, because I'm, what I'm seeing, you're God, I believe now, so tell me whatever I got to do now to be saved. Answer? Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it and that's all. At the moment that the promise of God and the gospel is offered, the only way to respond is with faith. It's all God's looking for. It was all he was looking for in Genesis 15 with Abraham. It's all he's looking for with you. Believe his promise. Now, so Abraham, Abraham's faith was a pattern for us. Abraham's faith was in the promise of God. And notice next, verse 17, Abraham's faith was in God's person. And I really need to talk about this for a minute. Look at verse 17, chapter 4. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now listen to this. In the presence of the God in whom, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. When we are talking about faith, saving faith, we're not talking about some just generic, general faith. Sometimes you hear from people, they'll say, these are from people who don't even, they don't believe the gospel. They're not even Christians and somebody's going through something and they'll say, you know, you just gotta have faith. You ever heard that? You just got to have faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in whom? This was a very specific faith in the one true God who showed up to him. This is faith in the God who, well, he gives life to the dead. And he calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is faith in the one true God that appeared to him. It was faith in this God's ability, as we'll talk about in a minute, to fulfill the promise. I'm afraid that, especially for young people, because I know it was the case for me, growing up in a Christian church, when you hear about the concept of believing, okay, so you'll hear about Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. Now believe. Believe that. Believe in Jesus. Which is right. But the word belief, and sometimes faith, can be a little bit misconstrued or misunderstood in the context of salvation. Abraham's faith was in the person of God and by that it means more than he just believed that God exist, existed or had some just general kind of faith about God. You know, the reformers were helpful in this and they divided up or really faith as they wrestled with this truth into three levels, if you will, or three components to what true saving faith is. The first one is, um, they called it noticia in the uh, Latin, or knowledge is all that means. 
In other words, to have true saving faith, you had to have knowledge. You have the content of the promise for Abraham. I'm going to, knowledge of God, because he knows God's there now. He's speaking to him. And, and, and the promise, the content of what God's going to give, he had knowledge of that. The second level was what they called assent or a, a census, which means you had to not only hear the content of it, but you had to believe it. Okay, so applying this to the gospel, you have to believe that, okay, true saving faith is this, that you know the content of the gospel because understand this, Christian, please understand that unless somebody hears the actual gospel itself, the content of the gospel, that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification, the gospel content, they can't be saved. I hope we all understand that. There's no salvation outside the gospel. No salvation outside of Christ, okay? So unless you have that content, you can't have faith. But if you have the content, then you have to believe it's true, okay? That's the second level. You're assenting to it. I believe that's true. We couldn't not believe it's true. We couldn't, as an example, hear the gospel and say, well, it's a fable, okay? That wouldn't be saving faith. But if you have those two things, I'm building to something here, and that's a third level that you have to understand. This is what I didn't understand until the moment God saved me in my kitchen when I was 25 years old, okay? And the light of the Spirit went on, and all of a sudden then I understood this. Because if you have those two levels or those two components of faith, you've got the content, and you believe it happened, that qualifies you to be the devil or one of his demons, because they believe that. I would say that for most Christians, the devil has more belief in the content of the gospel than Christians do because we struggle with doubt. He has no doubts about who Jesus is and what he did. It's this third level that what we're seeing in Abraham. It's fiducia or we would use the word simply trust. In other words, when Abraham, when the Lord appeared to Abraham and Abraham believed, he believed in him. He trusted in him. As a matter of fact, that Greek word that we use so often for belief or faith, that's what it means. Trust. He was relying on God now entirely to fulfill the promise. I'm trusting in you. It's more than I just believe you exist. I believe in you. I'm trusting in you. And you can see how quickly that can translate into the gospel. That you're not just believing about Jesus. You're believing in Jesus. You're trusting in him. You're staking everything upon him and the promises of God that come through him. You're relying, in other words, on Jesus to do, well, the mission that was revealed in his name, remember? He will save his people from their sins. And you're saying, Jesus, save me from my sins. I'm trusting you now. I'm not going to go to my deathbed with any other assurance of hope 
other than you, Jesus, have promised to save me if I come to you. You've promised eternal life if I come to you. You've promised to forgive me of all my sins if I trust in you. I come to you in faith. You're trusting him entirely that he has done, is doing, and will do everything for you. You see how important that is? We don't want to be murky there. We don't want muddied waters. We want to be real precise in our understanding of faith. Why are you going to heaven, friends? Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus now. And when you come to that place, and all of us are going to come to that place when we are in our last moments. Friends, you need your mind, you need your, your eye of faith fixed on Jesus Christ in that moment. Trusting in Him. And if you have that, then you can be assured right now. At the moment you pass away, your soul will go right into His glorious presence. Abraham's faith was in the person of God. And friends, this is important as well. Look at verses 18 and 19. Abraham's faith was in the power of God, wasn't it? In hope, it says, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Where was his faith resting? In God and his ability, his power to do exactly what he promised to do, even though he was believing in hope against hope. In other words, as he looked to himself and he looked to Sarah, the idea that he would have, they would have a child at that age was literally laughable, which they both did when they heard about it. That he was as good as dead. And her womb was barren, or as you can see the footnote, was the deadness of Sarah's womb. But remember in whom he's believing. This is the God who gives life to the dead. This is the God who calls into existence things that do not exist. That's the God in whom he's Believing. And this is why I'm convinced he had Abraham look up at the stars. Where'd those come from? Abram, where did those come from? They came from me. I call them into existence. Your body is as good as dead. From a human perspective, this can't happen. It's impossible. See, everything in the passage is pointing to human impossibility. <laughs> this just cannot happen. But with God... What is impossible with God? Nothing is impossible with God. In salvation, friends, we are trusting entirely on God to do for us 
exactly what he has promised. When it comes to salvation, you know when this kicks in, when you're a Christian and you're living your life for God and yet you still see within yourself so much failure. You still see so much sin. And you see eternity and heaven out here and you're like, how am I ever going to make it there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin this. I'm going to fail. There's so much sin. How is this going to happen? Friends, it's going to happen because God promised to make it happen and you're going to trust in his power and not your own. Paul said this, something very similar in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and look at this, put no confidence in the flesh. How much confidence do you have in yourself that you're going to make it to the end? You shouldn't have any. This is why, listen, it isn't just saving faith, it's sustaining faith that we need. That every single day we wake up, we're looking to Jesus Christ. We're looking to God to fulfill his promises for us to get us into the kingdom because we've become too acquainted with ourselves knowing that in and of ourselves and apart from God and apart from his spirit, we could never get ourselves to heaven. We need the faith that wakes up in the morning with looking in dependence upon this God As Paul said in the beginning, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith isn't something, friends, we did once. It's something we're doing now. We're trusting in Christ in the same way. Watch Abraham's life. It did result in obedient works, and he did those by faith. Friends, this same God that appeared to Abraham is the same God who comes to you now in the gospel of his son. The promises are so much more clear about what we get in the gospel, so much more wonderful, so much more clear, so much more than what Abraham probably in that time could have ever comprehended. The glories that are offered to a sinful human being in the gospel message. The joys and the glories of which he'll say in Romans 8, it isn't even worth comparing the suffering you're going through right now. It isn't worth comparing to the glory that's coming. That's how wonderful it is. He promises it all to you and what does he want? He wants you to trust him. Look to Jesus Christ now and put your faith entirely in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not required of us for salvation more than we could do, but only to look to you and to trust. Once again, I plead with you, 
to bring saving faith to every person in this room. Strengthen the faith in this room that is weak right now. Cause your people to look to you now and be renewed and strengthened faith. Saving faith and sustaining faith. Even as we take the Lord's table today, we pray for a special blessing of understanding to someone or some persons in here of what Jesus was doing when he was delivered up for our trespasses. We ask this in his name. Amen. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 that we've been given very great and precious promises.